Welcome to The Coaching Question. This is a podcast for people who want to know more about coaching, how and when to use it, and really, what's it all about. Join me, Gregor Finlay, and my colleague, Sarah Turner, two experienced executive coaches, for an honest conversation. In today's episode, we ask the question, how do we deal with feedback in coaching? So, Sarah... What are your thoughts here? When we were thinking about this topic, there's so much that we could really say, but actually we felt it was probably important to start by giving a bit of a distinction in terms of how feedback might show up in coaching. I guess one of the huge benefits that I find as a coach is being able to be a mirror. And so that's reflecting back what I see or what I might hear from my my client, my coachee. And so that allows us to share that feedback with our clients. And that might be something that they wouldn't necessarily know or hear from from others. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's the feedback we can give as a coach and then there's how we help our coaches when they need to deal with feedback. And I think that's one of the distinctions to make. And I absolutely agree with you. I always contract that I can just reflect my experience of my coaches in the moment because they may be coming across in a certain way and have be absolutely clueless that they're doing that and like you say are probably surrounded by people who won't tell them that so i I if i can illustrate that i had a a guy who was probably quite offended that his team thought he wasn't a very good listener and he thought he was a really good listener and he evidenced this with with some stuff but i said no you're not a good listener at all and he looked (laughs) he looked absolutely shocked to me and I did want to shock him I I said when you when I'm speaking what's obvious is you're thinking about the next thing you're thinking about stuff and you Mm. don't actually give me the attention that I'm really being listened to and if I'm experiencing that your people are experiencing that but he's been completely unaware of that up to that point yeah absolutely I love that I love that example um so I guess there's sort of three areas that I can think of there's this way in which as a coach I work with my client and can reflect back what I'm seeing what I'm hearing and sharing that feedback with them then there's also working with that client whether they need to be giving or potentially even receiving feedback and actually clients will sometimes ask for feedback won't they in a coaching session you experience that they will they will, and I think that's. I think it's highly relevant. If, sure. for example, you actually ask them to rehearse a conversation, they may have a very important conversation to have. You ask them to Absolutely. rehearse it. There's a really valid place for feedback there, and you can give really crystal, concise feedback that's really going to be very helpful to them. Yeah, because I would hope that most coaches are pretty experienced at giving feedback. And I think the other thing that happens is sometimes you get a coach who they'll say they're essentially saying, "How am I doing as a coachee?" Or they want comparisons to other people. You know, how am I doing Have as you? a coachee versus other coaches? You've had I've actually had somebody ask me that, and so therefore I think it's much more important we don't engage in that because it's essentially a child parent interaction that if you just responded you'd be given parent back and so it's it's much more important what's going on there yeah and i mean we, we've talked about this in previous podcast episodes this idea of you know a coach does not position themselves as the expert and as you say that's what you mean when you say parent child you know we are then being positioned as the person who kind of knows more yeah and in some way the coach he wants to tempt us into that relationship unconsciously but yeah that that certainly goes on you had an example about feedback not working well yes so i guess this is an example that i came across where the message was just delivered in quite a blunt 
kind of straightforward way. So it was along the lines of, I heard from this person that the way you dealt with that piece of work um, impacted on them and they ended up having to do a lot more work than they planned to. So really next time, I think you need to give some thought to how you manage that. That was the gist of it. But it was given in quite a kind of direct and sort of blunt way that instantly kind of triggered a reaction and kind of an, an emotional response in the person that was receiving that that feedback because actually for this particular individual there was they do have a driver we've talked we'll talk about transaction analysis in, in another episode but essentially that what drives their behavior is to please other people and so yeah. when that person heard that message it didn't land in the way in which perhaps it was intended so i don't think that scenario is going to be uncommon to a lot of people and a lot of people will have that driver who they what they want to please others so i think there are a bunch of different things going on there and i think a, a basic lesson i think in giving feedback is just make sure the psychological defences are not up. You don't want to raise the psychological defences by saying what you say. So if somebody's already tried to please as much as possible and you critique their behaviour directly, their defences are going to come up because I've already done everything I can to please. You know, what else do you expect of me? So, I mean, I'll repeat it at the end, but one of the top tips is make sure the defences are down, not up. You're not doing anything to raise those defences. It seems to be a quite blunt thing. I think there are, there are a number of areas we can help a coach he with in that scenario, which you're painting. And I think the first one you brought up was feedback is only feedback. Yeah, so exactly. So that, you know, what was being shared in that scenario is just one perspective. And it's just a data point. It's just a perspective that that person has on that particular situation, whereas the individual, the person hearing that feedback may have and probably does have a completely different or at least partially different experience of what was being discussed so feedback is only one piece of data yeah what's coming to mind is a conversation i've not long had which wasn't directly about feedback but it was some it was a certain situation that triggered someone into a, a more emotional reaction and for them it was and not being listened to. Mm. Now, they agree with the presupposition, the meaning of any communication is a response you get, mm -hmm. and they use that a lot in their work. However, in this specific situation, they make what was happening mean something else. And I think that's what goes on with feedback. Yeah. If it comes over harshly, or the intent isn't, a positive intent isn't there, people will make it mean something else. So one of the areas I think we can help people with, apart from going around feedback is only feedback. And if it's not only feedback, there's something else going on and that's what we should be helping them with. But the other thing is people don't contract with their managers or the people that they give feedback to about feedback. And I love this point. And I think it's something that so many people that I've worked with, if I think about HR and talent, and I think often we, we kind of miss this step. And it's something that you and I would automatically do as a coach. You know, at the start of any kind of coaching relationship, the first thing we start talking about is contracting. But actually, I don't think line managers think in this way. It's as you, as you call it, it's having the conversation about the conversation. I really like that phrase. It's really easy to hold on to. I need to make sure I've had a conversation about the conversation I need to have with this person. So it doesn't have to be something you do formally. It can just be something you do to set it up for success before you actually jump into the message you need to deliver. Yeah, and it doesn't. it's not just about feedback, but mm -hmm. what people don't do is they, they get upset about a conversation because somebody's expectations have not been met, yeah. but you never had the conversation about the expectations in the first place. Yeah. So having those conversations about the conversation 
It's a really, really useful thing to do. We do it naturally as coaches because it's part of the process. Other people in in organisations are often dealing with just a set of expectations from their experience, but without making those expectations explicit, that's just maybe helping the coachee with a bit more courage in that area, but to go and have those conversations about the conversations. And I think the third thing in that scenario is, why was that other individual talking to my manager about something rather than coming to me? Because essentially that's gossip. I need to go and have a conversation now with that other person and recontract with them. And then we're, we're actually building something sustainable then. Otherwise, the, that pattern is going to continue and, and we want to help the coach the break that pattern. So, yeah, I, I think in that single example, we've got three scenarios that we can help the coach with. I think underneath all of that, though, is this kind of idea of feeling safe and that sort of psychological safety, which is your point about making sure the barriers aren't up. You know, it's creating the right conditions so that you can have the kind of conversation you need to have. And that's really about having that psychological safety in different cultures and organizations. Some will have more psychological safety than others. Um, And those listeners who maybe haven't come across this, it's a term coined by Amy Edmondson. um, Essentially, it just describes a workplace where people feel safe to make a mistake. It's okay to get something wrong. And the key element of that is around building trust. And so if we build trust with employees, then they're more likely to feel safe because ultimately feedback is associated with judgment, isn't it? You know, I'm, I'm telling you that this is my experience of you in that situation. And if I don't set that up in a really skillful way, I'm in danger of it not landing in the way that I need it to. I think the more that line managers can build feedback into the culture of their teams, the better they're going to perform. Because if you you look at sports, you know, how you perform better is you have to put feedback into the process and the coach will give feedback and the sports coach will give feedback to the the person they're coaching and that's going to help them perform better. So feedback's a really important part of the process and you can build that into the system such that it becomes a habit. And one of the things I often encourage teams to do is to go through an an after action review. Yes, I love this. But an after action review is something that comes from the military and I think originally the army. Right. And basically after an engagement, they review what went well and what went not well. And they do it in a very particular way, which is nothing is personal. So what you're interested in is the improvement of the performance of the unit. So you say, well, what went well is this? Nobody's saying what went well because Johnny did this or what went wrong because Sarah did that is this went wrong. What contributed to it? What can we do better next time? And it's this future focus of what we can do better to avoid that next time. So we're not getting personal. So so an after action review is one example of a process that you can build in as one example of how you can build stuff into your processes such that feedback becomes a real norm and isn't a threatening thing. And also what I like about that is it's shared. It sounds like it's shared anyway. So you'd actually get that project team together. So we're all owning it as opposed to and then any particular individual taking responsibility for a certain thing going wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think if you can do feedback as a team, if it could be safe there, it can be safe in the, into one, the one-to-one setting. Yeah, because it becomes normal. As you say, it becomes part of the culture, part of the system. This is how we do things here. We're constantly thinking about how we can be high-performing, ultimately. Some managers seem to avoid feedback because they don't enjoy uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. They don't like giving anybody bad news. And they worry about how it's going to land. So they worry very much about how that person will receive it. 
Absolutely. So I, I think there's two things there. One is being able to reframe things for those individuals. Because mm-hmm. I like this thing about, okay, they're probably really interested in the development of their people. And again, if they're if they're not giving feedback, then they're not helping their people as much as they can do. Mm-hmm. And so I think there are things we can do to reframe things for those people to help them have those challenging conversations. They can practice those conversations with us. And the other thing is people really like to get feedback. Yeah, they do. I mean, it's that phrase, isn't it? Feedback is a gift. But they want it. They, there's an amount of times I've had a conversation with someone where they say, I want more feedback. I want more critical feedback because I want to improve and I really struggle to get that feedback. Yeah. So some managers are avoiding giving feedback when their people really want critical feedback. I wonder whether it'd be useful just to kind of explore a little bit how we might support our clients with those sorts of things. I mean, you talked about reframing there. Have you got an example there? Or, um, or in fact, I've got an example where we haven't actually specifically dived into this, but I had a client where she needed to give some quite difficult feedback to um, a few individuals in her team who were really, really ambitious, really keen to get promoted. This is in an organization that's quite hierarchical. So, you know, moving up a level is quite important. It's quite meaningful. And she had to deliver a message that they weren't ready yet and was ever so nervous about trying to have this conversation because she was worried about how it's going to land with them. And to the point that it was becoming something that was being a distraction outside of work. And, and how did you deal with it? Well, we talked, we did, we did some um, perceptual positions. So uh, to your point about just role-playing it and practicing it and putting herself in the other person's shoes and thinking about how she might tweak and adapt the language that she was using so that it landed in a in a really meaningful way. But there were some additional complexities there because I think one of the challenges that she was facing is the system that she's in, the clarity or the guidelines around who gets promoted and for what is not very clear. Yeah. So actually what she was trying, the message she was trying to deliver was not actually that clear in the first place. We'll put a link in the show notes. Perceptual positions, I don't think we've mentioned it before, is an exercise invented by the psychologist Carl Rogers. And it's when you take people through being in first position, which is me as me in my own chair. Mm-hmm. It's often called the chairs exercise, isn't it? Yeah. Because then you would get someone to move to the second chair and that's being the other person. Yeah. And they talk as the other person and you speak to them as if they're the other person. Then you can ask them what are the consequences of their actions or non-action, et cetera, and get answers from that. And third position is like the fly on the wall is the observer of both of those two. But really powerful tool. It is, yeah. And something I use a lot. I think the other thing that sometimes I I give people is the if something becomes too big, it becomes scary. Mm-hmm. But if we can chunk it down, it becomes less scary. Mm-hmm. I've got a little feedback frame that I found from an actor, and it's how um, stage directors work. They often use this frame, and it's a simple, it's three chunks. So you take the complex conversation and you just chunk it down into three things. Mm-hmm. And the three things are, I like, I don't like, I want. Okay. So I might say, I really like, or I love your manner and how you're a really good listener, etc. I don't like, so I'm talking about myself here. I said, I don't like how your language can get too theoretical. Sometimes you, you know the stuff, so you talk about it, but mm-hmm. that can lose people. What I want is I want you to use simpler, more everyday language. Mm, I love that. Really simple. And people who have a, find it difficult to have tough conversations, they find that if they chunk that down into just those three things, mm. 
that often simplifies it enough that they can really just articulate what they want. Yeah, great. Well, we can we can put that in the show notes because I think that's just really simple and easy to grab onto. I think the, the simplest main one for me to make sure the psychological barriers are down is just to say what I liked or what I really liked was X, Y, Z. What would make it even better is ABC. Mm. I should have done that the other way around. Make sure that the psychological barriers tend to be down so you can actually land your message. Uh, so I really like that, you know, the idea of what went well and even better if, which is a which is a really easy, again, another very easy, accessible feedback model to use. Another thing, sort of building on this idea of creating that safety is actually to kind of adopt a position of curiosity so really asking the other person what their experience or their perspective is so withholding your own sense your own experience of them in that meeting for example but actually saying you know tell me a bit about how you think that went Um, and actually opening up the conversation to that person first I find and, and a lot of my clients have found that actually nine times out of 10, the person knows the thing they didn't do so well. And so they'll go, well, I think it went all right, but actually I wish I'd kind of, you know, spent a bit more time on slide nine. And then that opens up the door for you to go, it's interesting that you, sh- you should say that because that's exactly what I thought. So instantly you've kind of created that safety and you're kind of doing that together. You're thinking about it together. So it's a really simple technique, but it's again, withhold your own judgment, open up the floor for them to share their experience first. Yeah, you were saying about that that attitude of curiosity. I think it really helps with feedback. You want to, it's this between push and pull communication. Yeah. Is it so often people might prefer a push style of of communication. They want to tell. Yeah. But the barriers can still be up. And if you push hard, you're likely to get resistance. Yeah. And it's always much better if you can come from a bit more of a pool. So pool first. And that's what I like about that scenario. Sort of in between is the whole thing about our expectations were this. You know, we thought we were going to get A, but we got B. Yeah. We need to talk about the gap. And that's one of our that's one of our coaching cards questions, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a nice way to offer challenge without being threatening Mm. because all we're having is we're having a conversation about this gap and then i think again building on this idea about building trust and creating safety is once you've kind of had the conversation is actually asking for feedback on how you approach the conversation so you know how did it feel to receive this message or how might i presented it more effectively again it just opens up the conversation to say like i'm i'm learning too and i'm really up for your feedback so it's a reciprocal relationship yeah and i think it's also something that should be encouraged i I used to do a, a set of leadership development workshops with my colleague Bakar, and every every lunchtime and every end of day, we would have the conversation together. What did we do well? What could we do even better? Mm. And because he's really interested in improving and feedback, and so am I. But I was then doing another. I was working with an associate company, and I tried to do the same thing every time. Mm-hmm. And. <laughs> At the end of the day, too, the person I was with says, oh, give over, Gregor, I just want to go to the bar. <laughs> <laughs> they just weren't interested. So it also, people's attitude to feedback tells you a lot about their attitude. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's another thing that is it's indicative. Like how, do, how do people handle feedback? Some people will bristle. So that tells you where they are. And that, that's a development area. It, so I think that's one thing for leaders to just notice. Some of your people will take feedback well. Others won't. And if they're not good at taking feedback, that is a real development area for them. Because if they can't take feedback, they're not going to get on. 
And coming back to the idea of the system or the organisation being supportive and kind of making feedback just part of every day, you know, actually just closing a difficult conversation or a feedback conversation with how did this land with you or how could I present it more effectively just again supports that whole ethos, doesn't it, of making it just part of how we do things around here. Yeah, absolutely. And what about this concept of feed forward? This is Marshall Goldsmith, isn't it? I love feed forward because it puts, partly it's putting the power into the hands of the coachee. Yeah. And because otherwise they might be waiting around for feedback. They can go and ask for feedback. Mm-hmm. And so, it's, you know, if somebody's doing a presentation, they can ask for feedback. I think the thing there is to take real ownership and ask for the specific feedback you need and make it useful. Because if you come off stage and say, how did I do? People will be nice and say, you did great. Yeah. But if you come off and you ask something specific, uh, was I too fast, too slow? Did I use too many bullet points? Did I go into too much detail? You know, ask people for the feedback you want. Yeah. And that's what and that's what feed forward kind of supports, isn't it? It does, because rather than looking at the past, you're going to people in your network and you're saying to them, I know my development area is listening for example yeah can you give me one or two hints or tips in that area that's it yeah and and they will share that with you and all you do is say thank you but if you do that with multiple people you will get lots of data and then you can choose what you want to do about it and what's great about it is it is purely future focused so don't talk about me in the past so don't talk about me in that meeting last week when i didn't listen particularly well help me think about how going forward i can really work on becoming a better listener and then that point about simply saying thank you so it's not it's not engaging in an ongoing conversation or an observation about what you suggested it's just thank you very much and let me take that and do something with it so it really helps it not to be taken as any kind of personal critique because actually you're talking about something that hasn't happened yet because it's in the future some people will can't help themselves and they really want to give you critical feedback yeah so you you ask for feed forward and then they'll go and give you some feedback and you just have to be ready for that and say, thanks for that, that's useful. What I'm really after is hints or tips about what I might do differently in the future. Yeah. So it's good to be ready for that and again, just say thank you and then come away and then review all the stuff that you've got and come up with an action plan from there. Great. I love I love feed forward. So it's a... I like the idea of in a peloton when you're cycling, Mm -hmm. if you're at the front, you're pushing 100% of the air. You just go three riders back, you're only pushing 60% of the air. And if you're in the middle of the peloton, you're only doing between 10 and 20% of the work. So if you can look at your stakeholder network and go and ask them feed forward, you'll get lots and lots of data that they will help you. So your stakeholders like become your peloton. Yeah. They support your development and they may give you feedback, um, but they'll give you the feed forward. They'll give you the advice that in that system will work mm-hmm. uh, to help you move forward. What does happen sometimes is these are short conversations that you used to have at the coffee machine. Yeah. Sometimes they have to be scheduled in and, and you know, in the world of video calls, they, they have to be scheduled in, but they can be quick conversations that they're tagged on. Yeah. But I'm, I've heard of several uh, instances where somebody's had a feed-forward conversation and it was meant to be three minutes. Hmm. And it's turned into a 45-minute mentoring session. And the best one was an HR manager in Ireland and the president of that, but the company was over-visiting. He used to live in Ireland, you know, so they knew each other. But she asked this 
three to five minute conversation with him and she ended up with nearly an hour and he was just mentoring her on her career. Hmm. So there's lots of things that can come out of feed forward conversations. And the things that's coming up for me is for organisations who are wanting to try and create a more of a feedback culture, I think often get caught up on, well, what model shall we use? You know, let's upskill line managers on having these conversations. And I'm not saying that those things are wrong, but what I like about feed forward is it's because it's so positive and because it's in the hands of the person asking for the feedback. I, f- I wonder whether that's just a great way for organizations who are trying to kind of create more of a feedback culture to actually think about how can I create more of a feed forward culture? And as an exercise, we'll get people to just pair up and have feed forward conversations. Yeah. I've done it. I remember once doing it in a, in a it was a, I think it was a women in technology meeting. And there was about 40 people in the room. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get them to stop. <laughs> no. I had I had to wolf whistle in the end to get their attention because people were so into it because you're helping other people and receiving help. Yeah. So they would go for two minutes, you know, having yeah. a conversation and they'd move on to, you know, they'd swap partners, et cetera. I couldn't get them to stop because people were having such a yeah, good time. Yeah, because it's really energising and positive. It's brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic. Think Thinking about time. Yeah. Um, we need to wrap up. Yes. Yes, what I'd like to tell you, Gregor, is you can talk too much. <laughs> we'll have that conversation afterwards, shall we? <laughs> That'd be a good feedback conversation. So should we finish with our top tips? For me, the, my first one is really, obviously, feedback is hugely valuable. But for me, it has to be given in a meaningful way. So really think about the best way to have that conversation. And I mean, to your example of, you know, if I dive off the stage, having given a presentation, and I ask you, how did I do the instant response is probably going to be yeah you did great but actually give me time let me know that you want to have some feedback and I'll stop and I'll give it a few minutes thought and I'll think really carefully about the message I want to deliver so think about it and give it in a meaningful way I would say it's like take ownership of your feedback so that's not only being specific about the feedback that you want when you go and ask for feedback Mm. but have the conversation about the conversation if if you're on the on the receiving end of feedback conversations that are not comfortable for you, recontract. You know, say I want a different kind of conversation. Mm. You know that that's going to be beneficial to me. Not currently, I feel like this, or at least consider what is making you feel like this. So take ownership of your own feedback. That's the tip I would give. Yeah. Okay. And then the final one for me then is it's that point about making it safe. So only give feedback when you know the barriers are down. So think really carefully how you set up that conversation. And like we said, it's relatively easy. You could just adopt what when what I liked was X, Y, Z. What would make it even better is if you did this. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is that easy. It's just you just have to remember to have that sort of language structure. Exactly. Great. That's brilliant. Well, I hope everybody's enjoyed this episode. I've really enjoyed having a conversation about this today, Greg. I think we could go on for ages, but we won't. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our show. We really do appreciate any feedback, which is particularly pertinent for today's episode. And we're keen to respond to any questions you might have about using and implementing coaching in organisations. So please do email us on info at thecoachingquestion.com and we will share some more details in our show notes about some of the feedback models that we've talked about today. Please do give us a rating on iTunes or your preferred podcasting or video platform. It really does help us to spread the word to a wider audience look out for our next episode we look forward to speaking to you then cheers everyone thank you